Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. A very warm welcome to the last episode of the summer. We're going to go shortly to Holland to chat with GGE chairperson Tony Bass. He's going to let us know what has been going on around the continent in the last month or so and also just what clubs need to do to get their house in order and of course to get more members signed up but first a bit of news deciding games on penalties seem to be the flavor of this past week in both GAA and soccer with League of Ireland teams staying in and going out of Europe on penalties we also saw them being served up in the Tyrone Senior Football Championship where Trillick beat Killy Clotter uh, 4-3 on penalties. Now there was some mixed reaction to it. One, the Mayo legend Cora Staunton said that she would not like to see further games settled on penalties. She said that, have your two periods of extra time, but then a golden score rather than a penalty shootout. It comes down to luck. In the inter-county season, when you get the All-Ireland final, and you would rather see a golden score settle things. And of course, on our social media, we've been letting people know where they can find streams to follow action from back home. But not all people in the GAA are happy with the concept of watching games on Facebook. One being Carl O'Dwyer, the son of Mick. He said that we played last night against Emo, that's in the Leeds Championship, and I was at home watching it on Facebook. I wouldn't be a big fan of Facebook, but unfortunately, I had to resort to those tactics. I was in contact on the phone with the chairman and one of the selectors. Because it was so windy, it was hard to get the message through at times, but it was the only thing I could do in the circumstances. Now, of course, this distance management is because he is living in Kildare, but managing in Leash. And as we know, the lockdown means that he cannot go from one county to the next. And finally, with Leo Messi set to leave the Bernabeu and possibly go to Manchester City, Arsenal beating Liverpool 5-4 on penalties in the Community Shield yesterday. And of course, the Tour de France pushing off. One of the big news of the weekend is, of course, that Novak Djokovic is forming a breakaway tennis players union. He has said that, I have read in the letter from the ATP, that's the Association of Tennis Professionals that ruled the men's game, that they think the ATP cannot coexist with this association. I have to respectfully disagree. Legally, we are 100% safe and we are allowed to form the player association. We are not calling for boycotts. We are not forming parallel tours. This is an important step for players and for the sport as well. Of course, Djokovic was responsible for a massive outbreak of coronavirus amongst tennis players and service staff earlier on this summer. And now we head off to Maastricht in Holland to chat with GGE chairperson Tony Bass. Okay, I am delighted to welcome back onto this Sunday's game the chairperson of Gaelic Games Europe, Tony Bass. Tony, how are you doing? Not too bad, Alan. Yeah, we're we're uh, surviving the the pandemic. Um, less less flying than usual, and um, no trips home to Ireland since uh, February because of quarantine rules and things like that. But other than that, yeah, we're getting on with things um, on the GA front. A lot of work we're doing at the moment is behind the scenes, setting up structures and, and things like that. Yeah, the, our, our subcommittees are, are beginning to to form up, and hopefully they'll be moving in in the next month or two, and that'll create a structure which hopefully will last Gaelic Games in Europe for the next decade or so. Registration. Um, how important is it for clubs to register, and especially register their 11 players, Tony? Yeah, it's actually really important um, for a number of reasons. One, obviously, um, when games do come back, uh, and you know, some reasons we have games starting to come back, all the players must be registered. 
and for clubs that have uh, you know recruited new players in particular students who've arrived over the summer for Erasmus years and things they need to obtain the student permits or player transfers but it is important first and foremost that people would be you know registered uh, to play um, secondly um, those registrations uh, the more we have uh, the more of a strong hand we have looking for funding and supports in future or whether it be approaching the GA for a grant or talking to a, you know, a potential partner in relation to a sponsorship deal, the larger our membership is, the more of a strong negotiating position we have. And thirdly, um, which you know, won't, won't concern a huge amount of people, but is very important, is that unless a club is affiliated, and that's the first, start, the first part of the registration process, uh, they've no say in how things you know, are organised in Europe. Uh, with a convention coming up now towards the end of the year, clubs have to be registered by a certain date. Uh, memory serves me right, I think it's 15 September. Uh, but particularly this year, considering that normally it would be approximately 10 euros a member to, you know, to, for the registration fee and various other bits and pieces that go into that. Uh, we've reduced that to two euros, which is the basic for everybody. This, But even that this year, you know, everything's minimal. Um, so again, there's probably no real reason not to, not to be registering people. Okay, so three good points why clubs should, uh, you know, register and pay. Of course, as you mentioned, that's like two euros a head. And of course, the club registration fee. A few bits of action going on around Europe and some coming up as well. Can you give us a bit of a rundown on what's been happening and what's coming up for us? So, um, yeah, it's sort of difficult sometimes to, to keep up with what's happening around Europe because of the, you know, the huge range of countries that are involved now with over 20 countries. And, of course, everyone's in different situations in relation to pandemic and it's getting better in some places. It's, it's uh, just improving in others. And then you have regional variations within some of the larger countries like France, Spain, Germany, etc. Uh, but we have had, um, you know, activity, uh, particularly in the Nordic region with um, the Swedish clubs, uh, you know, who have been less restricted than perhaps other parts of Europe. They're, they were having their um, Swedish championship, uh, which was a sort of because the other Nordic clubs couldn't travel into Sweden for, for various reasons. Uh, so the Swedish clubs, so you'd have Stock, uh, Stockholm, Malmo, Gothenburg. Uh, they came to they came together for um, you know one tournament. We had a friendly tournament in The Hague in Holland there a few weeks ago, and indeed at my own club Maastricht now on the nineteenth of September are planning on hosting. Uh, you know, fingers crossed that the situation doesn't change. Uh, but amateur sport is back with a bang this weekend in Holland. Soccer, rugby, Gaelic. In fact, I'm out refereeing myself in other codes. And I, I would have needed about four days in the weekend to referee all the games that I was asked to do because, like, all sports seem to suffer a shortage of referees. So that's a uh, mastery. Vienna um, in the central and east. Um, Vienna were uh, slated to hold one of our regional rounds, but what we've said now is that each region now decides what happens within its own area. Um, so they're they're running a tournament now. Won't have a championship status. Um, and you know, Vienna is a classic example. You know, just down the road, you know, 30, 40 minutes uh, journey away is Bratislava. But Bratislava now has uh, got much stricter requirements than they had a few weeks ago, so they won't be able to attend a, a you know a, a tournament in Vienna. I think without quarantining and things, and most people can't afford to put themselves in a position where they have to quarantine when they come back from maybe going to play for a day or a weekend. But I suppose the the the, the other thing would be a Camogie hurling is starting back next weekend uh, again. Fingers crossed in the Hague in uh, Netherlands, where uh, you know a lot of our. Uh, Camogie and hurling teams are based around the Benelux area or parts of Germany who can, can travel there. 
So again, what we've been advocating is that uh, regions and indeed uh, at Camogie and Hurling level that we try and organise tournaments where there's you know, smaller tournaments, lesser number of clubs, but that they're more likely to be able to attend and particularly to organise events where teams can travel to and from the event in the same day. And that usually means doing away with things like the after-tournament uh, social events, things like that, which is uh, a plus in terms of um, COVID-19 um, safety measures, but a minus in terms of that's where you know a lot of hosting clubs would have made a little bit of money for the year ahead, and you know many many clubs would, would be able to fund you know their equipment maybe uh, you know after making a small amount of money on a tournament. You know, every action has a reaction. Uh, every cancellation ha has a downside. Uh, sometimes much more than just the, the social meeting up, but uh, you know the things you don't see, like the, you know the little bit of income that it can give to a small club. See, we'd love to have money to allocate to all the clubs in Europe, but uh, as a board, uh, we've had no central grant funding this year. Last year we would have had uh, a development grant twenty six thousand and operation grant of forty thousand. Uh, so that's 66,000 euros were down. On the other hand, we, we haven't had that much expenditure. We haven't had to fly referees. We haven't been running training courses and things. So I suppose we're, we're no worse off than anybody else. There is activity. Um, most of our clubs across Europe are, are at least training um, internally. Um, some are arranging the occasion of challenge games and, and things like that. So while we know this year you know, is going to be a sort of a write-off in terms of most of our competitions, um, it's good to see clubs back on the field because at the end of the day, regardless of all the other things that we do, we train to play and we're a games-based organisation. So unless we have games, it's very hard to maintain morale and motivation. Um, next year, of course, we're going to have to go and look for money because we, you know, we're kind of down so much this year. So again, it's vitally important that we have that amount of money, like we have a, a mass of clubs and players already registered to say, look, we have X number, so we need this amount of money. And in addition as well, for clubs who are looking for grants, it's very or, or who don't even know about looking for grants as well, it's yeah. important to, to have numbers there on the board. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, like maybe not everyone is back, you know, and I, I know from talk, you're just, you know, colloquially talk, talking to people that, you know, some people have decided, well, this is the year to hang up my boots or, or whatever. But that doesn't mean you should lose. I mean, they're the very people you need to keep involved in clubs, uh, whether it's training teams, setting up youth sections, going on subcommittees, uh, hanging on to the people who have been active is, is a number one thing, I think, for clubs. And because a lot of our clubs are, are younger in, in general age group uh, disposition than certainly I would have been used to and certainly a lot younger than I am, you know, retaining the interest of people uh, and encouraging people to remain members. Uh, because they're the very ones that you need when you're organising a tournament to put up the goalposts, organise the catering, do the registration, organise it then after that fundraising events. And as well as that, when people are involved in the club, I, I find that they never stop recruiting. If they bump into somebody and they get talking, they become a recruiting agent for the club. So the more of those that you retain within your club, the more you're going to be able to recruit. And it's a bit chicken and egg. I know it can be very easy for everyone to get very pessimistic and let things die down. And then you get to the level where, uh, well, we don't really have enough to train. And when you're not training, then it's very hard to do recruitment. And you can actually slide off the other side of the hill. I'd like to see all our clubs permanently going up the hill. Yeah, can I mention one other thing, Alan? Um, <laughs> I, and I know it's a subject dear to your heart. We were talking about keeping membership up. But it's not just about membership. It's been able to show activity. And one of the great ways we can do that, and there was a huge amount of this early on in, in the pandemic, you know, back in the spring, um, when clubs were running all sorts of events and quizzes and things like that. But even now, to be active on your social media, on your Twitter, on your Instagram, on your Facebook account, 
because those things are all important. One, now that we're back in what would normally be a playing season uh, for recruitment. But also, again, if you are going to be looking for partners and sponsors, if things get back to somewhere near normal next year or indeed a new normal, whatever it might be, by having activity on an ongoing basis, the likes of sponsors and people who are looking at grants, if they go and check out our social media feeds, they're not silly. They're not stupid. They're not going to look at the last two weeks if we just put out a few things. They're going to look at over a year. They're going to say, what's your statistics for the year, etc." So again, to, to say to clubs, to keep doing stuff uh, online. I mean, there was a great example during the week um, I saw from the Eindhoven Shamrocks, where they had uh, all the players in kit holding hurlies, bursting out of a tunnel. And it just was a great image. Like It's almost like we're back. We're ready to go. We're enthusiastic. Bang, let's get on the field. And that's brilliant for recruitment. And even if you never get to play, at least if you have big numbers at training, people look forward to going to training. And again, it's, it is something that you actually brought up when we, were, when we had the online training course, was the connecting with this show, like on social media, then connecting, say, to local authorities. Of course, because most of the time, we are beholden either to a local sports club or local authority for use of facilities. So again, mm-hmm. showing that you're busy on social media is important. Uh, absolutely. And, and I mean, it's one of the ways that you show the outside world that you're active. I mean, you might be very, you know, things might be going well within the club and you might be getting good numbers at training once or twice a week, etc. But unless you're promoting, um, you run the risk of, you know, running into a decline. And it, it is hard to keep people motivated when you don't have games. I mean, one of my mantras is that we're a games based organization. And if, you know, if people are not playing games, it's very easy to lose interest. Having lots of stuff going on on social media and all, I mean, if people really understand how social media works, it's psychological. When people see activity there, they presume there's activity. So again, you can actually create an image for your club as being very active and being involved and being out there. It, it, true, even just during social, using social media. You know, I, I would advocate to clubs that you know, constantly do something, you know, most weeks, try and get something up there, just, just, just to show that there's a vibrancy in the club. And I, I don't have to lecture. A lot of our clubs are very good at this. Um, but some of our clubs, you probably could do a little bit more on that foot. Yeah. I mean, it, well, okay. That's, that's a task now I had to take on and start to push a wee bit. Final question is one that I've been asking everyone who's been on the last wee while. And it's about the World Games last year. Because, of course, we, we had great plaudits from Pat Daly. We've had great feedback from players, coaches, officials. Uh, on the show and even some of the interviews that didn't unfortunately make it on onto it um, people were massively positive had their own views where they had personal things uh, general things what for you were the standout moments and what did you take away from last year in Waterford and Dublin yeah um, well what it was my uh, third world game so I was actually at the very first one in Abu Dhabi uh, and then in UCD um, four years ago and then last year in Waterford. Waterford was definitely the best. It was very enjoyable. Uh, from my own sake, I, I, I plan to travel over because Europe had one of the largest contingents of teams there. Um, I forget what it was, 24, 29 teams, something like that, out of a, approximately 80. So we had a huge representation. And uh, one of the things I, I was really delighted about was that we encouraged people to go. Uh, we didn't make it um, something that only the best could go or things like that. We treated it in the way that I think the organisers wanted it, was a festival celebrating Gaelic games around the world. So we sent teams, many of whom were, were beginners, the players. Um, but I tell you, when they went back, they were somewhere, and you could tell from the interviews and the podcast, they went back brimful of enthusiasm and motivation. 
and everybody who was there, I I heard you know little you know minor uh, I won't even call it complaints, but people say this could have been better, that could have been better. You know, I, I saw some things like that myself being involved in event management organization, very large events so over the years. For other, um, and so you do see things that could be improved. But on the whole, it was such a fabulous experience. I had the pleasure. I, I was planning to travel anyway to it uh, with my partner. We were taking a week's holidays just to go to it. Uh, at the last minute, then the Iberian native ladies football team, their manager uh, broke a leg or something, wasn't able to travel. So, I, you know, I, yeah, I said, yeah, I'd be happy to, to step in and, and like uh, hand out the jerseys type of thing. It's, it's a long time since I actually coached the team. But it was really brilliant working with the girls, um, none of whom were Irish. Uh, many of them were, were relatively new, some were experienced. We, we, did, we did Molly from Philadelphia in the States. Uh, and then we, we had a Dutch girl um, who was living in, in um, I'm trying to remember, was it Valencia or, or Barcelona? Um, and then you know lots of Spanish girls, um, and they they came together. The team spirit. I, I don't think in, you know I, I've been around a long time in my own club in Kula, uh, and Kula, and in the Master Gales and European teams and things. Like that. I don't think I've ever seen a team spirit like that. And every day it got better because of the event, the way things ran during the event, the whole structure. Yeah, there were one or two two days. You know, we would have preferred to play another game, but you know. There's limited facilities and things like that. So, uh, but everyone I bumped into, and, and I was lucky in that I was able to go and visit most of the other European teams. And I could just sense this enthusiasm and happiness. It was oozing through people. And sometimes they didn't even have to articulate it. All you had to do was just see the smile on their face. And sometimes they're waiting half an hour for a bus back to their accommodation in the evening. But it, it seemed to fly by because everyone was having fun, having the crack, as, as the Irish say, uh, and just enjoying the event. Uh, and everyone had a great time, uh, and you know the the whole closing event. Then you know everyone enjoyed that. And you know if you were suffering from a lack of enthusiasm or you know being around a long time and were you know a, a bit jaded, let's say it just it was like injecting uh, you know a full bottle of motivation and enthusiasm into your veins. Our yeah. la lacrosse game, I, uh, almost. And I mean that was a real thrill for me. Even drawing up and down the sideline, I'd refereed a game in Crow Park many years ago, and and I thought that was going to be my life's ambition as a referee, but to, to step out on the field for the first ever hurl lacrosse game between the Irish lacrosse team and the European hurling team. And we, I mean, that was so much fun. And even people who'd never seen it, I mean, it, it was an experiment really. And again, anyone that stayed to watch it said, this, this game has potential, you know? Yeah. Um, and perhaps it's something, you know, we need to go back and look at, particularly in Europe, where, you know, lacrosse is strong in many countries. Uh, you see it in the likes of Germany and places like that. Uh, one, one of the brilliant things about Gaelic Games Europe is that we're involved in so many different things, you know, whether it's, you know, the four main codes of, of camogie hurling, football and ladies football, across rounders, handball, now hurl across. You know, it, it's, it's never stopping. You know, these, sometimes I think Gaelic Games Europe is more like an international federation than one sport organization uh, because we do now have six, seven codes, maybe eight codes, who knows, going forward. Uh, but certainly it was brilliant to be, to be in Crow Park. And, and again, you look at the players who are both on the Irish lacrosse team and the European hurling team, many of them, it'll be their only time they ever get to play. And they played a full 80-minute game in Crow Park, you know, on that sacred turf. I mean, I was just as pleased to be running up and down the sideline. <laughs> We're, we're, we're looking now, of course, that the, the codes have been coming closer and closer together in terms of the LGFA, Camogie, and, of course, mm. the GAA. We, we've obviously shown that already in Europe, that we can all operate together under the one umbrella. 
Do you think that COVID has maybe broken down the final barriers to stop the GAA? I know it's a bit of a, a, a spicy question, but do you think that maybe that step has been taken where they can all become one big happy family? I, I felt that for a long time that wouldn't it be great if we were all you know one big happy family? Um, but I also know um, from being very involved, I mean, because we're involved in Gaelic Games Europe, we're affiliated to three different you know associations. Um, between the GA, the Camogie Association, Ladies Gaelic Football Association. Um, and I think you know, have, the, f- the first step on this road is to get much greater integration and cooperation. And to me, it's a generational thing. It may not happen that fast. Does it need to become one organization is a question I'm beginning to have more and more these days, because if there's good cooperation and they're working at, you know, across the, the board and, and things like ch- um, uh, child protection, for instance, or, you know, certainly on, on, on the pandemic issue now, they have a, a joint approach. And I think this is probably the way of moving forward. So as everyone gets used to each other, and the one thing you have to do there is build up a degree of trust. And so by working together with people, you tend to build up trust. And then we start moving away from having clashes. Like, and I know there's plenty of clashes, particularly in Ireland, between, say, Camogie and ladies football, who, you know, um, where you'd have maybe dual players. And, and my own club at home, Kula, um, are in um, a Dublin senior final in, in ladies football this evening. Um, but they were also down to play a Camogie semi-final this weekend. You know, again, we've seen progress. The Camogie Association were able to manage that and adjust the, the fixture. So I think that's that. these things are important. In Europe, I think we also have to look at it maybe, you know, in a slightly different way. We have to sometimes realise that while we are very integrated, the three associations are separate, autonomous, independent, self-governing units. While we have been able to work together, because probably because we're not so big yet, we also make, have to make sure that we, protect, you know, we give every code and people who play each code an equal and balanced say in things. So that presents some administrative problems for us in terms of, you know, look at, you know, constantly keeping an eye on, on how we do things, what are our rules and stuff like that. So the classic is, you know, um, in GA, um, every club sends two delegates to a convention. And apparently that goes back in history to having two codes. Come um, so we have to look at that and, and how we make sure that we, we, you know, we keep a fair degree of representation based on, on, you know, roughly speaking, the number who are playing or number of clubs who are playing each of the codes and how do we balance all of these things and make sure that, you know, maybe the lesser code in the club is well is well represented, you know, when it comes to the club, um, articulating a voice in relation to, you know, how we plan our seasons, things like that. Um, so these are all things we have to you know, constantly keep an eye on. I think we've managed to do it quite well for our first 20 years. You know, from time to time, you know, the, I, I'm probably around longer than most at the administrative level. So I do remember when we used to have complaints that, you know, the, 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 you know, the two female sports were not adequately represented at our convention and things like that. And we came up with solutions for that. It's probably time to look at those solutions again and see how they stood the test of time or do, do they need refinement? Again, I think the, the main thing is to make sure that whatever we do, we increase uh, inclusivity rather than uh, run the risk of becoming dominated by a particular, any particular section or echelon of, of the organisation. Uh, but I do think Gaelic Games Europe, on the whole, is a very good shining example of how integration can happen in the future. And many years ago, I've been involved in a restructuring of the Dublin GA board uh, oh, almost 30 years ago. And there was war when we abolished you know, the junior hurling board, the junior football board, the minor board. And we, we sort of, we, we managed all of these into, into one organization, which became streamlined. 
there was a lot of complaints for the first year or two, but afterwards people said it was the best thing that ever happened in terms of making sure there was a, a coherent structure to fixtures and to decision making and having the same decisions across all the different levels and things like that. It's change. And we all know change can be difficult for people. And look, you know, I'm no different from anyone else. Sometimes I can be a bit change resistant, even though I feel I spent most of my life looking for change in different fields and walks of life. But I know I can be change resistant. It's a natural thing that sometimes we get so used to something that we just don't see it. Tony, thank you so, so much for that. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you back at refereeing very, very soon as well. Uh, once again as I say at the start of every year it's probably my last one <laughs> <laughs> listen Tony Vass thank you thank you very much for today we'll talk to you again very soon thanks Alan keep up the good work on the podcast as the final whistle blows on this episode of the Sunday's Game we'd like to thank Tony Bass for his time and of course we wish you all luck when you're getting back out onto the field for training or for games we'll be back of course next month which of course is in just one week's time so until then take care of yourselves and each other <laughs>